Creative Babble. Kim's daughter Hannah has a new boyfriend. His name is Lee King. But Kim has yet to meet this new man in her daughter's life. It was time to meet the parents. Lee impressed us. I mean, he was yes sir, no sir, shake our hands, look us in the eye. And so our first meeting in June, I was like, oh, maybe Hannah found somebody. Lee King was tall, had a buzz cut, and looked like he was once muscular and in good shape, but maybe had a few biscuits. You know what I mean? He's not a bad looking guy. I guess I'm just terrible at describing people I've never met. Like most relationships, it was good at first, but then this love affair took a turn. I'll let Kim explain. That's when I was like, you need to get rid of him and you need to get rid of him now. And and she didn't. Kim Evans is actually a longtime listener of this show. And she wrote to me because her daughter had a really, really bad boyfriend. And we'll get into that. But this story snowballs and becomes something else. The search for an international fugitive. I'm Javier Leva, and this is Pretend. Stories about real people pretending to be someone else. Picture this, a foggy evening, the whisper of secrets in the air, and an invitation to step back into the glamorous and mysterious 1920s. That's the backdrop of June's Journey, the game that's been keeping me glued to my phone lately. Instead of doom scrolling on social media, I am actually playing the part of June Parker, a daring detective with a personal mission to solve her sister's murder. And let me tell you, it is a roller coaster of emotions and puzzles. What's to love? Well, first of all, the thrill of hunting for hidden objects. I'm a sucker for these kinds of games. It's kind of like those books that we grew up with, but with a storyline that keeps thickening. Plus, the game takes place in New York to Paris, uncovering clues of scandalous family secrets that make you feel like a real detective. If you're ready for a dose of mystery, romance, and the glamour of the 1920s, June's Journey is waiting for you. Download it for free on iOS and Android, and let's see who cracks the case first. This story takes place in Ozark, Missouri, a small town sandwiched between Branson and Springfield, Missouri. And it's also the place where Hannah met her soon-to-be husband, Lee King. Right off the bat, her mother, Kim, knew something wasn't right about this Lee King guy. So his last name was always King and everybody else's was Maurer. And I asked her about that. I'm like, what 
why is his last name King? Is that not his real dad? And she's like, no, that's his real dad. But his mom's family line didn't have any more boys. And so they wanted to carry on the name. I said bullcrap. <laughs> I'm calling bullcrap because that is the oldest child. Did your daughter marry him or was she just dating him? She was engaged to be married to him. They were together for about 18 months. When I first met him, he said that he had been in the army, that he was in Afghanistan, that his vehicle had been hit by an IED, that his battle buddy had been killed. He woke up in Germany having survived and was never able to say goodbye to this battle buddy. Hannah calls me all upset because he kind of went crazy. And uh, she's like, no, he has PTSD and blah, blah. Well, come to find out that was all a lie. He'd never been to Afghanistan. He was good because I would say, Hannah, I, I don't think he's ever been in the military. And she'd be like, no, I mean, we'll go to Walmart, mom. And he'll be like, hey, how you doing, dude? I haven't seen you since we were in boot camp. And, you know, people would be like, yeah, hi, how you doing? I said, Hannah, I could do that. I could do that in Walmart. I said, people are not going to be like, dude, who are you? I said, that's just how we are. And I mean, he sat around in fatigues, army fatigues with badges and everything. Okay. He, I mean, he did the whole thing. Not only did Lee King say he was a veteran of Afghanistan, he also said he continued serving with the Army Reserve. But Kim wasn't convinced. So while I was there, I stopped by the Army Reserve Armory down there in Springfield. And I just walked in and I'm like, hey, hi, this is my name. I got somebody who's dating my daughter that's saying he's doing that. And they're all looking at me like, and I said, so you can verify that no such thing happens. I go then to her house and I said, oh, you, you want to go out to dinner? And, and Lee's like, yeah, let's go. You know, and he's in his fatigues. And so we go to Olive Garden and we're standing there waiting. And I know Lee is not military. I know Lee has done nothing for our country. And it just sickened me. And people are just walking up. Thank you for your service. Thank you so much. And, you know, bringing their kids up, little two-year-old. Thank you, sir, for your service. And it, it was just sickening to me because that's, you know, I was all over. I'm looking up stuff. I mean, I'm on the internet going, no, there, there's websites that tell you who has bronze stars. There's websites to tell you who have purple hearts. It ain't on there. I have a friend who, who got the Medal of Honor. I found his from 1990. And you're telling me he got this three years ago and I can't find it on the internet? Mm-mm. And so my background is I worked for the Department of Corrections and have since 1988. And I was a probation and parole officer. So I've dealt with a lot of different people. And I was just like, mm, there's something off here. So I spent a lot of time trying to convince my daughter that Lee was a liar that there was something wrong with this relationship. Kim had a bad feeling in her gut, but at the same time, this is her daughter's decision to make. As a mother, there's only so much she could do. He had a phone on our phone plan, and I don't know what took me so long, but I finally went, I can track him. Yeah. What a thing. I mean, like, I could just kick myself in the behind. I was tracking him everywhere, and so she's like, well, he says he's here. I'm like, really? He's in the Walmart in Nixon, Missouri, Hannah. You know, well, he says he's here. Really? He's at Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City seeing a Chiefs game. Well, he says that he's here. So she tells him. <laughs> this is hysterical. Him, yeah. So she tells him, my mom is tracking you. Well, there's something wrong with the, your mom's tracking. 
well, okay. So to prove it to me, then I want you, I said, tell him to bring you something from Arizona. And so he goes, well, I'm going to, I'm going to take a photo of the leaving Arizona sign. And, and then I'm going to buy a card or something and bring you the receipt. So he texts her the sign and I go, are you kidding me, Hannah? And so I get that off the internet. I know. So I find one and download it and send it back, you know, a different one back to her. And I'm like, yeah, and I'm leaving Ohio as we speak. Kim, I got to say, I have no idea why he was terrified of you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I was relentless. I was absolutely relentless. And Hannah was young and naive and always believed the best. So she wasn't going to leave him. And so I finally just gave up and was like, okay, if you can't beat him, join him. Cause I didn't want to push her away. And, and her and Lee ended up getting engaged. I'm guessing that you aren't thrilled when she told you that she was going to marry Lee. Right? <laughs> so her father and I were both on the phone and they called and she's like, guess what? And we're like, what? She's like, Lee asked me to marry him. And I said, yes. And I mean, her father and I were both like, uh, oh, great. Well, you know, when do you plan on getting married? So, I mean, no, we were less than thrilled. But I had, like I said, I had decided by then that I didn't want to alienate her because I knew something was going to come to a head. Then she got pregnant. My daughter did not want to be pregnant. Kim thinks that Lee did everything he could to get Hannah pregnant. And she was actually on birth control and needed to go to the doctor again. And he like turned off her alarm. So she missed the appointment and like got, she ended up getting pregnant. With his child? Yes. I was not disappointed she was pregnant. I mean, when she told me she was pregnant, I was like, woohoo, I'm finally going to be a granny. I mean, there was no, I was not disappointed. So there's no reason why she would lie, but she swears, mom, we used a condom every single time. She had a feeling that she didn't want to hold on to him. Right. right. And she goes, I, I was going to marry him, but I knew we'd be divorced in five years. And she told me that. So she swears, she swears he poked holes in his condoms. In hindsight, maybe Lee was trying to impregnate Hannah in order to gain control over her. Kim says that he was never physically abusive, but he was definitely verbally and emotionally abusive. Here's a recording of Lee yelling at Hannah. Trigger warning. If you've experienced an abusive relationship, you might want to skip ahead a minute. This recording is taken from Hannah's cell phone. You see, Lee King snatched the phone away from Hannah and accidentally dialed her mother's phone number. It went straight to voicemail, and that's what we're listening to right now. I don't know what the context is of this argument, but it's clear who the aggressor is in this situation. And I heard that voicemail that you sent me. That was Lee. That was right? Lee. I'm fucking leaving. Leave me the fuck alone, woman. Describe that voicemail. I can tell you that I have not listened. I've never listened to the whole thing. Just because it, it makes me want to vomit. What? You're stupid fucking 
believe it. I don't care about you anymore. I know you don't. I listened to the entire voicemail, and I feel the same. It's sickening. Here's Lee demanding Hannah to submit to his demands. I want everything to be good, but I need you to show me. I need a hug, a hug from you, not from me, giving to you. I need a kiss, I need you. I pick up the phone, turn it on, and I have this voicemail and I start listening to it. And I was like, holy cow. Kim called her husband. And I was like, are you coming with me? He's like, oh, that's just... You know, he, he was just so good. That's just Hannah. And I'm like, listen to this voicemail. He's like, I'm not going to listen to it. I'm like, okay, I want to tell you one thing. It, I'm going down there with or without you. I called her brother. Her brother lived there. And so I called her brother and I was like, you need to go over and be with Hannah. He's like, Lee already called me. Hannah's just freaking out, blah, blah, blah. I'm, and I was like, dude. Get your butt over, and I use lots of f bombs, and get over there and be with your sister. And so he did do that, and I think that's when finally everybody believed me because I've been saying for probably a year by then, there's something not right. I think he's abusing her. What was the outcome of that voicemail? He never like out and out punched her or anything, but he would hold her down. You know, he would. Hold her against the wall and then punch holes in the wall, like beside her head and stuff. That night he was holding her and had her phone. When I got down there, I said, Hannah, why didn't you call the police? And she said, because he was, he was holding me from behind and I bit his arm. And he told me if I called the police that they would think I was the aggressor. So I get there and Lee is afraid of me. I mean, he told Hannah, I am afraid of your mom because he knew I was the only one that was seeing through his crap. I mean, her brother wasn't, her father wasn't. And he knew, I knew. And he had a secret to keep. Yes. He had left her apartment after this altercation and went to the gas station and spent all his money on lottery tickets and won $100,000. Yes, that's right. After he stormed out of the house in a fit of rage, he drove to the nearest gas station, bought a scratch off, and won $100,000. I thought he was lying again. And he was texting with Hannah. I said, Hannah, ask him what the ticket looks like. So she's getting all this information. And I'm looking it up. And I'm like, that is a $100,000 scratcher ticket. Kim couldn't believe it. I mean, she literally doesn't believe a single thing this guy has to say. I told him, you be at Hannah's house at 8 o'clock in the morning. And I will take you to the lottery. Because I didn't believe him still. So he showed up. And we went to the lottery place there. And he turned in his ticket. After claiming the winning ticket, Kim started the car and they drove off. I can imagine this was a really awkward drive. And then we went to McDonald's where I bought him breakfast and I told him that I would fucking kill him if he ever did that to my daughter again. Lee King's lucky streak was about to run out. And so things progressed really quickly. The whole time he's still with Hannah telling Hannah we're going to be a family. But that was never going to happen because Lee King's lifetime of lies was about to come crashing down. You see, the whole time Lee was dating Hannah, he had another fiance. Her name was Jessica. He won the lottery on Labor Day. And by, I don't know, the 17th or the 23rd of October, he had married Jessica. Let me make sure I understand everything. 
So your daughter is dating him. She's engaged to be married to him. She was trying not to get pregnant. She got pregnant with his child. He wins the lottery. While she's pregnant and he has $100,000 in his pocket, he's actively with another woman. And then he marries her? Yes, so they hooked up. So did Jessica and your daughter know each other? Yeah. So she, so Jessica knew that she was dating. Oh yeah, Lee? and knew that Hannah was pregnant, and yeah, she knew all that because they would hang out together. Oh my gosh, they would all hang out together. Oh no, Jessica, the other fiance, gets pregnant, and two months later, her and Lee get married. Now he has two kids coming from two different women, and so Jessica's daughter Addison is seven months younger than my grandson. Oh, but it gets worse. One day, Hannah gets a strange letter in the mail. It's addressed to Lee King. It was basically Wisconsin's version of child support. It was some kind of children's trust fund. I said, I don't know what that is, so I Google it. And I said, Hannah, he's got kids up there. And she's like, oh, no, he doesn't. And I'm like, I'm telling you, this is child support. So she confronts him and he says, no. No, what that is, is it's a refund check because this woman said that I had kids with her and I really didn't. And so they started taking child support and then we ended up proving that I wasn't the father. Kim called bullshit on that and started digging. She pulled up Wisconsin's public records website. She typed in Lee King and got a few hits. And I located two moms. And so I, you know, like, Hannah, there's two moms. And one of them's name is Kayla Jacoby, and she has a little, she has a child. And one of them's name is Amanda Zanagas, and she has two children with him. That's right. Not only was Lee King engaged and impregnated two different women in Missouri, he recently left two more single women in Wisconsin. And she's like, what? And I gave her all the proof. And so that's really when things, I, she started changing. Lee King might be a bigamist, but that's not what the story is about. He has an even bigger secret, and it's about to blow up in his face. We'll reveal the biggest lie of them all right after the break. Did you ever meet his parents? No, every time we tried to, there was some reason why we couldn't. So they avoided us, and I think because Lee said you need to avoid her, her mom. I really do. It turns out Lee King wasn't the only one hiding a secret. There was something squirrely about his parents. Kim just couldn't put her finger on it. For example, Lee's backstory never added up. Kim says that he lied about everything, even something as simple as where he grew up. I I got his social security number and I'm like looking it up and she's telling me, well, he was born here. And I'm like, well, why is his social security number from here, this state? You never got the, the pleasure or the honor of meeting Lee's parents but what did you know about them at the time so (laughs) i knew that everything i was being told wasn't true lee's parents came over from the uk for vacation in florida she ended up having lee while she was here i said i'm calling bs because no airliner is going to allow her to get on a plane that pregnant okay because they're not going to deliver babies over the ocean But she, no, I swear, mom, that's the truth, that his father at some point flew airplanes, owned an airport, 
that he was very wealthy. But at the moment, he was working for suddenly putting in cable. And I'm like, hmm. Boy. So he was a cable guy? Yeah, yeah. That's what he was. And I said, how did that happen? How can you go from all of these riches to this? That's weird. I don't know, mom. And that Sarah was a stay-at-home mom. And she didn't like to drive because she didn't have a driver's license. But she would drive. And I said, well, why doesn't she have a driver's license? I don't know. It expired and she never got it. And I was like, mm, that doesn't make sense mm. either. So there was a lot of nothing that added up. Lee King was a walking, talking contradiction. He was a bona fide liar. It was impossible to tell if his outlandish stories were real. But there was one story he kept telling over and over again. Lee's parents are not who they say they are. Did your daughter have any conversations with Lee where he was maybe implying or bragging about this and she just didn't put the pieces together? Yes. So Hannah said that she he did the same thing. My dad's name is Fast Eddie and he's a bank robber. Well, he lied all the time and Hannah knew that. Well, she Googled it and there's a rapper named Fast Eddie. And so she's like, I went through pages and pages and pages of Google and I only got this Fast Eddie rapper. But this time, Lee King wasn't lying. His father, Michael Marr, wasn't really Michael Marr. His real name was Eddie Marr. The same Eddie Marr who 20 years earlier pulled off one of the biggest bank heists in England's history. They called him Fast Eddie. In 1993, Eddie Marr drove an armored truck transporting cash to and from banks. But one day, he decided to keep all the cash to himself. Fast Eddie, loaded the truck with 1.2 million pounds and drove off, instantly becoming one of Britain's most wanted men and an international fugitive. This heist wasn't a rash decision. It was meticulously planned. Weeks prior to the bank robbery, Mars and his partner and his three-year-old son Lee off to America, where he would eventually meet up with them. And this story I just told you, the one about Fast Eddie, was too juicy of a story to keep secret. Lee King, now an adult, couldn't help but brag about his father's criminal adventures to his multiple fiancés. It's so interesting because your daughter just probably thought that was just another lie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Remember Jessica, the other woman who was engaged to Lee? Well, by this point they were married, but things weren't working out with Lee. A few weeks after Lee King was bragging about his father's criminal past, she got a visit from Fast Eddie himself. It's reported that he grabbed her by the arm and threatened to kill her if she ever told anyone his secret. Maybe Lee King wasn't lying after all. She couldn't resist. One day, she started poking around online and sure enough, she found an article recounting the 20th anniversary of the infamous bank robbery. She looked at the picture in the article and there's no doubt, the man was a younger version of her father-in-law. The story must be true. How did you learn about Lee King and Fast Eddie? I hadn't told the story in a long time. This is Chief David Overcast of the Ava Police Department in Missouri. At the time, he was a patrolman in Ozark, Missouri. One day, he got a dispatch about a possible international fugitive. So when I got there, that's when I met Jessica. And that's all you knew. You knew that there was like an international fugitive. Didn't know anything at the time. When I got there, sat down with her to see what she had to say, of course. And she started telling me about the domestic problems between her and her husband, which was Lee. She starts telling me about this father-in-law of hers. He was an international fugitive. So when she leaves, I go sit down at the computer 
and I type in fast Eddie Meyer. Well, the first thing that pops up is it's kind of a big write up on him. Has his picture of him and the. And then it clicked. He's seen this guy before. The thing that connected it was I had went to a disturbance where Eddie and his wife were living at the apartments in Ozark about six months prior to this. And what stood out in my mind is that Eddie Maurer has this real distinct English accent. And as you can tell from my accent, we, we're, we're in Southern Missouri. <laughs> so, you know, it yeah. really stuck out in my mind. Wait, wait, back up. Before you continue, you had encountered Eddie Maurer. What was the nature of that encounter? There was a disturbance and there had been a problem between her and a tenant. So we were dispatched there to diffuse the situation. And while I was there, Eddie had come out and was speaking with me and another officer. So when she's telling me this and telling me where he'd come from, where he'd run from, and then she told me where he lived, I said, I know this guy. I, I know him. I, I, you know, I dealt with him. So when I pulled up his Missouri driver's license, I taped over his, his mouth and his forehead and we used his eyes and his nose. And when I looked at it, I said, that's him. That's got to be him. And so how did you finally apprehend him? Well, what we done, we contacted the uh, U.S. Marshal Service, uh, U.S. Marshal Service, also Secret Service. They got the FBI involved. We started doing surveillance on his place. The authorities didn't immediately apprehend Eddie Marr. Instead, they watched him closely. Every morning, he would climb into his work van and go to work. He would come and go, living an unassuming life. But one day, Marr was spotted checking into a motel room. That's kind of how he got tipped off. But how did he know? You see, a few days back, his son Lee and Jessica got into a fight, and then the police were called. There was a domestic between Lee and his wife, and when Eddie Maurer showed up at the police department, it was kind of a heated exchange between him and another officer. Eddie got into a heated argument with an officer because his son had been arrested. Mm. And uh, then they kind of let it out that they knew who he was, and they, they kind of let it out of the bag that we were looking at him. So Eddie Marr was on the run again. He actually took off on us. He got wind that we were that we were after him. And he took off and went and stayed in a hotel and was trying to figure out how he could get away. Yeah, so that kind of almost, almost blew it. And at that point, that's when he left the apartment, tried to hide, and, and he's kind of figured I'm at the end of my trail. And he finally, the FBI talked to him on the phone and talked to him and turned himself in. You know, if it wasn't for your curiosity and some good police work, that Eddie Maurer might have gotten away with it, right? Well, it's a, it's a possibility, you know. I mean, how many times did you get called for an international fugitive? And, you know, you listen to this and you think, come on, this, you know, this isn't happening here in, in small town USA, this international fugitive. It was just the fact that, one, she was so upset with the relationship she was in. She wanted somebody to believe her. She, you could just tell she wanted, she didn't want me to dismiss this. Kim still remembers the day she heard the news. Well, I'm driving to work and one of my POs, she texted me and said, call me when you get to work. And I was like, I'm not going to wait till I get to work. <laughs> she said, hey, Kim, what is uh, Lee's parents' name? And I'm like, Mike and Sarah Mauer. And, and they live down in, in Springfield. And I'm like, yeah. 
And she goes, um, she's like, you need to look on MSNBC. There is a story. And I think it's Lee. And I think it's his parents. His dad is stole money from an armored car 20 years ago. And I was like, what? So I go look and then immediately I, I knew it was him. Kim tells me that these days her daughter Hannah has put it all behind her. I can honestly tell you, Hannah's been married almost five years and been with her husband for seven. And I don't know that he knows the whole story because she just doesn't like to talk about it. It just upsets her. And she goes, but I feel like I need to talk about it so women know they're not alone. She she beat herself up a lot over that. And I did too, a little bit too, because I was like, because he was abusive to her. She couldn't talk to me on the phone unless he was sitting next to her. He would do things like, I know one one Christmas she didn't spend Christmas with us and she was with his family. And so I had some guilt, like, where did she learn this? Where did I go wrong? And then she started it too. And I said, Hannah, you're like 15, 16 years ahead of most women figuring this stuff out. You have gotten an education. You are learning from this. It's okay. It's okay. She was also disappointed that that Arlo wasn't going to have a dad. I, I hate to say this, but the best thing that ever happened was Lee because he left all of his kids, not just Arlo. And it's going to be real easy to point out to him. The problem wasn't you, Arlo. The problem was your dad. And here's four other kids to prove that to you. I said, he hasn't stayed with any of his kids or taken care of any of them. The only thing that's atypical about this story, because unfortunately domestic abuse is so typical and so rampant in this country is that his father is this big con artist bank robber. Really, that's the only thing unique about the story because unfortunately, like the domestic abuse part thing happens so often. Lee, Lee knew from a very early age that he was living a lie. There's a video where the news crew down in Springfield is interviewing me. I didn't know until yesterday that my dad and I just found out I'm not the actual age I am, which is completely false. My dad is one of the nicest guys you'll meet. Um, He's only ever done what's good for us. I just don't want anybody to see him in a bad light for something he did 20 years ago. He hasn't he doesn't commit crimes. I mean, he's the one that gets me out of trouble. He's known that for a very long time. And like, what does that do to a kid? They damaged him so much. Fast Eddie managed to squander all the money he stole. In fact, by the time he was arrested, Eddie Marr filed for bankruptcy. In 2012, he was extradited back to the UK and sentenced to five years in prison. Here's Fast Eddie telling a British talk show about his experience. I went. I used to sit in the back of a truck and make seats out of like bags of money you know what i mean of course there's a temptation there yeah, yeah. I, I think you know anybody if i put you in the back of a truck like that the temptation would be yeah maybe sure yeah. anybody well, works in a bar anybody so whatever happened to his son lee king he was you know owed all kinds of back child support in wisconsin i called ozark pd i said lee king has a warrant out of wisconsin they picked him up he went to wisconsin they put him in custody he uh, got sentenced. He served time until like November of 2012. And as soon as they let him out to be on his supervision, he fled back to England. So he can't come back to the United States because he's got a warrant. Lee is the one that let the cat out of the bag. He did that. I think his family pretty much disowned him. His dad disowned him and they blamed him. 
And he has kind of disappeared. I don't know where he is in England. And I don't know that he doesn't have many, many, many other women with children over there. Today's episode was brought to us by a longtime pretend listener, Kim Evans. I love hearing from you guys. So if you have a story to tell, do what Kim did and send me an email at Javier at pretendradio.org. You never know, your story can make it on the show. Also, I'm working on a Christmas episode. Do you remember when you learned about the big lie? You know, the one about the big guy who magically squeezes down the chimney at night and leaves gifts for children all over the world? You know which lie I'm talking about. If you have a fun Christmas story about deception, send it my way. Also, I want to thank Alex, Beth Kale, and Corey Treverson for supporting the show. I really couldn't do this podcast without you. If you want to buy me a cup of coffee or throw a few dollars in the hat, head on over to patreon.com slash pretend radio. I'll have a link in the show notes. All right, guys, I'll talk to you soon. Creative Babble.